Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we are going to study and look at and read together Proper 9. Proper 9. Now, we are in the second half of the church season. The first half starts with Advent, then goes to Christmas, then Epiphany, then Lent, then Easter. And then we finish with Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Then the second half of the season begins with the first Sunday after Pentecost and goes all the way to probably the end of November, sometimes the first of December, depending on when Christmas is. So we are in the second half of the season. And if you are following the Sunday readings, it will be the day after Pentecost and that's set apart by proper numbers, proper numbers. So we are in proper nine. So what you need to know as we look into the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, which are, of course, located in the New Testament, we are finishing up with numbers, and we will be looking for a a few chapters with a few chapters in Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is a very long book, but according to Proper 9, we are going to look at several um, books and verses in Deuteronomy, and then the following week, Proper 10, we'll start with Joshua, which is the sixth book of the Bible. Uh, Numbers is the fourth, and Deuteronomy is the fifth. And those five books, by the way, for you scholars, is called the Pentateuch. Then we'll be looking in the New Testament in Paul's letter to the Romans. We talked about, have talked about Romans for several weeks now. And then we will continue our study of Matthew by looking at Matthew 23 and 24. So, Matthew 23 and 24, Romans 8, 9, 10, and then an eclectic uh, chapter and verses in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Let's start with Deuteronomy 27, 12 to 23. Joshua is going to succeed Moses. Moses has been an outstanding leader, as you remember in Exodus And in Numbers, he led the people out of Israel. Of course, he's in Deuteronomy also. But in Exodus, he famously led the people in Goshen uh, that were there for 430 years in northern Egypt and led them uh, through the perils uh, that the uh, Pharaoh had put them through, put them in bondage, put them in slavery, and led them out. And the Lord um, was able to bring them to uh, close, very close to the promised land. Now, Moses was not able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Uh, that uh, was going to fall to Joshua, as we'll see next week when we start, start the book of Joshua. Joshua is going to go into Israel and have to deal with all the tribes and all the peoples that are there. And so we'll be talking about war and battles because those people are occupying the place that God has given to his people, which we call the promised land. So in Numbers 27, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, go up on this mountain, the Abram range, and see the land I have given the Israelites. So I've given this land. This is my land. I'm going to give it to you. Now they're going to have to go and take it because, as I said, people are there. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Verse 18, the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Now remember, Joshua was one, and Caleb were the two people 
Uh, remember earlier in Numbers, I believe it's the 14th chapter, that said, 13th chapter, that said we could go in and take the land. Remember, he sent uh, 12 men to go and, and look at the land and see what we could do with the land. And 10 came back and said, we can't take them. Too strong, too much, too great. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. Numbers 13. Numbers 14, God enacts a serious judgment and basically says, this generation will die out. Not Joshua's, not Caleb's. They will not enter the promised land. Now that time is finally coming. And Moses' time is going to end and Joshua's is going to begin. Verse 20, give him some of your authority. This is um, Joshua. Give Joshua some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. Of course, there's a tremendous teaching here in terms of leadership. And then he says at the end, at verse 23, then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. So he, Moses, laid his hands on Joshua and commissioned Joshua. So in order for him to be the leader, he needs to be commissioned. He needs to be anointed. His hands, the hands of the previous leader need to be on him. And the people need to recognize that now he's in charge uh, and leadership has passed from Moses to Joshua. Joshua is going to be our leader now. And as we'll see next week, he's going to lead us into the promised land. Numbers 32. Numbers 32. He's talking about the tribes and how they're going to deal with the tribes and how this process is going to happen. There are just a tremendous amount of people that are located in these areas, in these, in these places that, uh, that are in Israel right now. And, uh, and so this is an excellent chapter. Please read that carefully. We go, and then in, verse, uh, in chapter 33, which is not part of your readings, but it's a good one, the stages uh, that uh, the Israelites found uh, in their journey uh, from Goshen to the Promised Land. They did this, then they did this, they did this, they did this. Okay. Then we go to chapter 35, which is listed, and we have the cities of refuge, uh, and again, uh, on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across the Jericho, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance that Israelites will possess, give them pasture lands around the towns, and then they will have towns to live in and pasture lands for their cattle, flocks, and all other livestock. And so what is going to happen is God is going to set up the places where uh, the people of Israel are going to live. Okay, this is a massive project because this is going to take a tremendous amount of work in order to, uh, to take all of these people that were in Goshen and move them for 40 years, have them encamped on the east end of what is now Israel, to go into Israel and to occupy the land, defeat their enemies, defeat the ones that are in the land, take them over, subjugate them, and live in the land. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Deuteronomy chapter 1 we're back to the beginning. These are the words, verse 1, that Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. In the 40th year of the first day of the 11th month. All right? We're in the 40th year. Remember, they're going to wander for 40 years. Moses proclaimed to the Israelites and all the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This is after he defeated Sihon, 
king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and at Edri, had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Verse 6. Break camp, advance in the hill country of the Amorites. Go to the, all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, along the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, as far as the great river of the Euphrates. I have given you this land. Go in and possess this land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. So he's, the, what's going on is somebody's got to tell them what to do. God is telling them what to do. Now, if you were to look at this very seriously with commentaries, or you'd have a um, mapping, geography, I mean, it would be complicated to figure out all, the, all these folks in all these places. Just know that God is on the move, and he's going to make it right for the people of Israel to go into the land. In the second half of Deuteronomy chapter 1, he's going to appoint leaders. Spies are going to be sent out, and there's going to be rebellion against the Lord. Remember the rebellion? We are recounting that again. Okay, back to the rebellion, back to the spies sent out. Okay, Look at verse 23. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up to the hill country and came to the, the valley of Eshcol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down and reported it's a good land that the Lord is God is giving us, but the people rebelled against the Lord. They rebelled against the Lord. Look at chapter 3, 18 to 28. 18 to 28. This is where Moses is forbidden to cross the Jordan. This has upset a lot of people over time. A lot of commentators, a lot of people believe that Moses should have gone into the promised land and with all that he had done to secure their victories. Look at verse 21, chapter 3. At that time I commanded Joshua, you have been with you have seen me with your own eyes, all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms. Over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of him. The Lord, your God, will fight for you. And this is the key verse for, for Joshua and their taking of the, of the other lands. Is God is going to fight for you. God is on your side. This is God's land. He has promised it to you, Israelites. You go in and take it. It is yours. Now, on a much bigger scale, for those of you that are listening to me, the idea of God fighting for you, the idea of God being on your side is a tremendously important theological concept. The idea that what you have in Christ, who you are in Christ, God will fight for you. God will be on your side. Take refuge in the Lord. Take solace in the Lord. Take your protection in the Lord. Don't go out there and try to fight the battle on your own. Don't go out there unarmed. Take the Lord with you. The Lord is with you. He will go before you. He will go behind you. He will go to the left and right of you. He will fight the battle for you. So when we get to Joshua next week, you want to be thinking of that idea on a grander level. God's in charge. It's his world. It's his promises. Let him do that for you. Don't try to do this yourself. Don't try to do it myself. O sovereign Lord, verse 23 of chapter 3. You have begun to show to your servants your greatness and your strong hand. That's what we all want to be able to see. For what God is there in heaven and on earth who can do the mighty and great deeds that you have done? Verse 28. 
uh, verse 26. But because of the Lord, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. And then he says, look at the land with your own eyes since you're not going to cross the Jordan. Sad for Moses. Verse 28. Remember, we read this a few minutes ago. Commission Joshua, encourage and strengthen him, will he, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So you're not going to be able to go, Moses. We saw that in Numbers. You're not going to be able to go. Joshua's going to be able to go. He's going to be the leader. Commission him. Now we're going to jump all the way in our readings to chapter 31. Chapter 31. Joshua to succeed Moses. Okay? We're repeating ourselves. When you read... Uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see a lot of the same kind of idea, okay? The same historical uh, idea. Sometimes there's a little bit more uh, that one book might show over another. You see that in the Gospels a lot. For those of you that know the Gospels real well, you'll see how Mark and, and Luke might look at the same thing, but Mark might say more or Luke might say more. It gives you a little bit more information. And you see this in, in Kings and Chronicles, they tend to do that. Kings and Chronicles kind of run parallel to each other. And Numbers and Deuteronomy do the same thing. So in chapter 31, we have Joshua succeeding Moses. We, we have the reading of the law. And then we have the rebellion of Israel. Verse 23 of chapter 31. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. You're going to do this, Joshua. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. This is going to be accomplished. And Moses recited the words of the song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. This is called the Song of Moses in chapter 32. And you and I are reading through 32.4. And the first four verses are just a beautiful uh, uh, explanation, praise, worship, uh, truth about who God is. He is the rock. His words are perfect. Verse 4, all his ways are just, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Beautiful language about who God is. And finally, for this week's reading, Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 12. The death of Moses. The death of Moses. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land. The Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants. It's been a long time since that happened. This is the culmination of years and years and years and years of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the 12 tribes and then we have Moses in Exodus and Moses' journeys. And finally, we get to the promised land. And Joshua is going to lead us into the promised land beginning in the next uh, chapter, which is the next book of the Bible after Deuteronomy is Joshua. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in verse 6. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And the Israelites grieved Moses 30 days. Verse 9. Now Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Boy, it's going to take a whole lot of wisdom to do that job because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Finally, 
just the last couple of verses about Moses. Since then, verse 10, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord met face, knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord had him do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So we have the end of Moses' ministry in Numbers and Deuteronomy particularly. We have the death of Moses. We have the new leader raised up in Joshua. We finally are at a point, as we'll begin next week's uh, Proper 10, with the ascendancy of John of Joshua, the ascendancy of Joshua, which means Jesus, by the way, and, uh, and his uh, leadership in overtaking those tribes and those persons and those countries, if you will, that are located in Israel that have to be uh, taken out so that the people of Israel can live there according to God's promise. Okay, now let's look at Romans, and we want to look at the 8th chapter, and we'll look at the end of the 8th chapter. Now, I told you last week that Romans 8 is one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. It's a beautiful chapter. It's very powerful, and the first half is talking about the relationship and the struggle, the war, if you will, between the flesh and the spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, remember we celebrated that on the day of Pentecost, comes down and empowers us to do God's will. And so the battle rages between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. Supernatural power, our power. And you want to submit to that supernatural power of the Spirit. Verse 28, very famous verse. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God loves us. We want to be called to his purpose, which means we want to find out what God wants us to do for his purpose, not our purpose, his purpose. He works good for those who love him. And so I pray that all of this audience is, uh, loves God, or is moving toward loving God, and that you will know the purpose that God has for uh, you, and it will be God's purpose, and it will be accomplished. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, verse 29, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, another famous verse. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. That's that whole predestination concept that a lot of people get hung up on. What should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? We've got God on our side. That's all we need, ultimately. And as I made reference last week, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, verse 28, to angels or demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. So some great promises in 828, 830, 831, 838, and 39. Fabulous verses. Uh, If you find yourself uh, worried, down, depressed, anxious, uh, not sure of your salvation, not sure of who God is, not sure of your relationship with Christ, I strongly urge you to look at Romans chapter 8, particularly the end of the chapter. Now, we're going to see a very major shift here in chapters 9, 10, and 11 because we're now going to speak about Israel and uh, God's relationship with Israel. Now, we just finished talking about the end of Numbers 
uh, beginning with the 27th chapter through the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy and looked at some major historical events which led to their being led from Goshen to the promised land. And then, of course, Joshua is going to be used to take the promised land. Now, where does that all fit in with the people of Israel? I speak the truth in Christ 9.1. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He's discouraged because they're not following Christ. They're not following the Messiah. They've rejected the Messiah. The Gentiles have accepted the Messiah, but the Jewish people have rejected it. So in 9, 10, and 11, he's dealing with what is going to happen to the Jewish people. Now, this is a very complicated uh, uh, theological series of truths. Again, read your scriptures, pray, listen to what God is saying to you. If you've got a study Bible, look at the notes at the bottom. If you have a commentary on Romans, you might pick it up and look through this. He says, theirs are the patriarchs, verse 5, theirs, them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. It is not as though God's word has failed, verse 6. So God has done something. These people have tremendous value in the kingdom of God. They're very, very important uh, to God. And he says in verse 18, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens who he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, well, why does God still blame us? Who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Verse 20, why did you make me like this? Verse 21, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? So he's going through a litany of explaining how Israel was chosen, what he thinks of them now, where they are now before God. He's going to call on, if you're looking at your Bible, in chapter uh, chapter 9, he's uh, going to be quoting quite a few scriptures here from Isaiah, from Exodus, from Hosea. And it's a complicated, difficult case that he's making here. And then he says, what shall we say then? Verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it a righteousness that is by faith. They weren't even looking to be saved. You people had all the answers. You people were given the keys of the kingdom. And we, like we do in, in our daily lectionary weekly, we're looking at the Old Testament scriptures. And you can see God actively working with the people of Israel to lead them, to guide them, to uphold them, to keep them safe so that the promised Messiah would come later and they would be preserved. So the actions of God upon the Israelites are just stunning, fantastic. But what but Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it, verse 31. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Wow. End of chapter 9. Chapter 10. Brothers, my heart and my desire to pray, uh, desire and pray to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. I want them to be saved. So as you read through chapter 10, you'll see the famous verse in verse 9 that I quote a lot in terms of salvation. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to confess that Jesus is Lord. You have to confess that he's Lord and you will be saved. 
He says there's no difference in verse 12 between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How beautiful, verse uh, 15, are the feet of those who bring good news. So he's proclaiming the gospel to the Jews. He has proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles, and they've received it readily, but not the Jewish people. So he's making a case for them to respond to the gospel. Again, he quotes Isaiah. He quotes Joel. He quotes the Psalter. He quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes Isaiah. All day long, last verse 21, I've held out my hands to a disobedient, obstinate people. I'm working with you people, but you've rejected me. You keep rejecting me. Why are you rejecting me? All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Why do you do that? It's a wonderful series of scriptures. Very different from chapters 1 through 8. Then shifts dramatically in chapter 9 and chapter 10 to talk about the Israelites and their future. All right, let's go back to our Messiah, Jesus, in chapter 23. Matthew, Matthew 23, the seven woes, 1 through 12, he is making a very strong series of statements in, Ma in Matthew 23, uh, you'll see that we're looking at that for three days, against the Pharisees. Now this takes extraordinary courage, of course he got killed for this. He says, he calls them the brood of viper vipers. He says, woe to you, and as you read through this extraordinary chapter, woe to you hypocrites, verse 15, you travel over land and sea to win a single comfort, and when he, convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guide. He just goes on and on and on. He takes on the Pharisees, and he shows them how duplicitous they are, and he shows them the wrongdoing. Now, of course, the idea is for them to be saved when they hear the truth. And this is another very important concept for all of us. When Jesus speaks to us, sometimes his words are very strong. Sometimes they're different from what we thought he might say. But if we listen closely and we pray and hear what God is saying and listen to the Holy Spirit, we will see the truth of what he's saying and hopefully repent. The Pharisees did not repent but he told them what the truth is. He told them what the truth is, but they did not repent. In, verse, in chapter 24, which is, takes us to the end of this week, we see the signs at the end of the age. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a chapter devoted to the end times. Now, I could give you a very long dissertation on the end times, and so many people have missed it. Here's the key. Nobody knows the day or hour. Therefore, keep watch, verse 42, chapter 24, because you don't know when, what day the Lord is going to come. You must be ready, verse 44. The Son of Man will come in an hour you don't expect him. Who is the wise and faithful servant whom the masters put in charge to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. You and I need to be ready. There's only two possibilities, folks. Jesus is going to come back again, or he's going to come back for us individually when we pass from this life to the next. Either way, you and I need to be ready. So the 23rd chapter is a diatribe against the Pharisees for, the, for what they believe and all the wrong ideas that they have and how they've led people astray. Very, very, very uh, strong. Chapter 24 is 
his dissertation on the end times and what is going to happen. Be careful how you interpret that. But the most important part is the second half in terms of us being prepared for the coming of the Lord. This is one of the reasons this daily lectionary week by week is so important. You want to read the scriptures. You want to meditate on the scriptures. You want the scriptures to be part of your being. You want them to be part of your mind. You want them to be in your soul. You want to think and pray about them. So enjoy Numbers, Deuteronomy, Romans, and Matthew. And I'll see you next week on the Daily Lectionary. God bless you all and have a wonderful week.